Welcome to the GH podcast. I'm Ali Asghar Bootwala and I'm the Media and Outreach Associate at Gateway House. We are a month away from the US elections and in the run up to this global event, Gateway House will be conducting a weekly podcast. Today, we are joined by Ambassador Neelam Deo, who's the director and co-founder at Gateway House. Ambassador Deo is a former diplomat and in her vibrant career in the Indian Foreign Service, she has served in the Indian Embassy in Washington, D.C. and as the Consul General in New York. So Neelam, we saw the first presidential debate yesterday. Can you tell us your initial views about this debate? So um, thank you, Ali. I'm glad to be able to discuss something that I think just about everyone is interested in. Uh, the first impression was to say that, uh, my God, what is going on? Because there was uh, no clear thread. There was no clear discussion possible. In fact, uh, a lot of the commentators have declared it the worst presidential debate ever. And at least partly because, uh, you know, the president did not allow a discussion to take place. He kept interrupting, he kept talking over when former Vice President Biden was trying to say something. And altogether, it uh, has been described in very undignified ways as a brawl and frogs jumping in a box and that kind of thing. But uh, it, there, there is a certain uh, anticipation uh, attached to these presidential uh, debates every four years. And I don't know the exact numbers, but something like a hundred million people all over the world are supposed to have tuned in. So my first impression was that this is not what a debate yeah. should be. And that's an impression that seems to be shared uh, broadly. Uh, it was surprising actually, because the moderator was from President Trump's favorite news channel, which is Fox News. And Chris Wallace is quite a respected uh, anchor. So he made uh, many efforts to try and conduct a more substantial debate. Uh, but uh, the president really was not listening to him or to anyone else until it came to the point where he actually had to more or less scold the president and remind him that his side had agreed to certain debate rules and that he was obliged to follow those rules. Uh, after the debate and, and in the discussions, the fact checkers also said that a lot of what President Trump said, claimed, was not factually correct. And that is not uh, good either because uh, it does not... Uh, it does not add to the dignity of the office and it does not add to the importance of the election process which is underway. As you mentioned, commentators are saying that this is the worst presidential debate. However, in this debate, there was an entire section devoted to tax returns filed by candidates. We also saw this in 2016. Can you please tell us why there is so much emphasis given to federal income tax paid by the candidates? Yes, Ali, you are right that there was some attempt at a discussion of the president's taxes, uh, but 
most of the time there was talk about racism. He is alleged to have supported an extreme right-wing group called Proud Boys. He made, there were attacks on Vice President Biden's son. Uh, there was, uh, you know, reference to the fires in California. And he said it was because there was no forest management. But those forests are federal forests. So if there is not enough management, it's the fault of the federal government, which he heads. But the discussion on taxes was all sort of uh, initiated by and shaped by the previous day's story in the New York Times that in the last many years, the president has only paid $750 in taxes in the last two years. Now, President Trump contradicted that several times. He said he had paid millions in federal taxes. And this then became a case of whether the president's word should be taken, which normally it should, and whether uh, New York Times had not selectively blown up some parts of the tax returns that they had been able to get. The reason that this was given so much importance in this year's debate is because one of President Trump's claims is that he's a billionaire, he's a very successful businessman, and because of that, he should be the president because he can run the country like a successful business. If in fact his business is claiming millions in losses and paying only $750 a year in taxes, which is lower than what a nurse or a teacher or almost anybody else pays, then it calls into question his competence as a businessman. This is important for the rest of the world also. Almost no other country has a tradition as the Americans have of the last 30, 40 years for candidates to declare their financial affairs, to declare how much tax they have paid. But in some European countries, they have begun to give at least some selective information about their tax liabilities. Importantly, this is not the case in Germany where the long-standing chancellor, Angela Merkel, has not declared anything publicly regarding her tax returns. But this is a way, these are measures that are, it is hoped will add to transparency, will lead to not less corruption or to eliminate corruption in public affairs. For instance, in India, it is obligatory for candidates in a parliamentary election to declare their assets fixed assets and financial assets. Now, it's not necessarily clear that they are actually declaring everything, but it does give the public, the voting public, at least some information. They can see that almost all the people who are trying to become a member of parliament or a member of a legislative assembly are already millionaires, for example. And the longer they have been in parliament, the more money and assets they seem to have accumulated. So in that sense, it is a, probably a good thing for candidates to give as much as information as they can on their financial and property affairs. Neelam, that's quite a comprehensive analysis. Well, now coming to a topic that has been discussed since March, the global pandemic. In this debate, we saw that President Trump was in favor of opening the economy, whereas 
former Vice President Biden wanted to restrict and slow down the process. Do you think that the handling of the coronavirus will have an impact on the voters' choice? That is what all the polls are showing, that the biggest, the second biggest concern that voters have is the coronavirus. The biggest is, of course, jobs and the economy. And in the coronavirus discussion, as much as could be had as a discussion, Vice President Biden kept talking about the thousands, more than 100,000 Americans who have already died and the prediction that by the end of October, by the end of this month, 200,000 may have become the figure of those who have died. President Trump, on the other hand, kept claiming that he has handled it so well that the figures would be 10 times worse if it were not for him, if it was somebody else handling the crisis. There, there is, so it is very important how this issue evolved. Uh, people being surveyed are saying, is that they don't think the president has handled the coronavirus epidemic pandemic as well as they think that Biden might handle it. On the other hand, one thing we should always remember in these matters, especially when we are judging what's happening in a debate, is that in a way the election is already on. One million people have already voted in early voting. And then there will be others who may have voted but whose mail-in ballots have not yet reached and will be counted, including for some days after the election, and could affect the result unless there is a landslide in favor of one or the other candidate. So I think the handling of this pandemic is very important. And uh, while uh, President Trump tried to blame the Chinese, and they certainly deserve a lot of blame blame for the way they mishandled it in the beginning. The vice president kept trying to keep the focus on how badly it has affected Americans uh, and the fact that is revealed in a recent book by Bob Woodward uh, that the president actually knew how serious it was but kept underplaying it in the first couple of months. While there are questions being raised in the US, Similar questions are also being raised in India about how we've handled the pandemic. So Neela, my last question to you is that do you think such debates should take place in India as well before an election? Well, you know, going by this latest debate that we are discussing, in fact, in the United States itself, there are voices saying that maybe they shouldn't have any more debates because the public doesn't learn very much with the way this particular debate went. There are debates in some other countries. I know that in Denmark, for instance, all seven, eight, nine parties, the leader of each party joins a debate. But that is so civilized and so boring that almost nobody listens to it. In India, the debate, uh, since we don't have a presidential system, uh, would then have to consist, there would have to be decisions taken on whether only the two leading parties can be represented or only the leaders of two coalitions, the NDA and the UPA should have this debate amongst themselves. Uh, this is a debate we have every time there is an American election. I think some amount of public discussion is a good thing. I don't know if American style presidential debates 
forum or that kind of structure is necessarily the best. But it would be good if we could get past uh, Twitter and the equally uh, unseemly shouting uh, of what passes for debates on television news channels. Thank you so much, Neelam. We would also like to thank our viewers and we will request you to look out for our next podcast in the election series. For more information about Gateway House, you can visit our website www.gatewayhouse.in. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn.